First of all, notice the handwriting of the Apostle Paul. Again, in verse 11, he says, You see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. Paul calls them to notice what large letters he uses to write this closing with his own hand. And it might be that he's pointing to a fact that they already knew, that his eyes were not good. It's probably from what he suffered in his body uh, for the cross of Jesus Christ. He mentions it back in chapter 4, chapter 4 and verse 13. He says, You know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. And we surmised when we talked about this that Paul might have been referring to uh, even back where he, where he said that he had an infirmity in the flesh and how he asked the Lord three times to remove that from him. But the Lord said, my grace is or my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And then Paul said, most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And Paul said even to them, he says that his thorn in the flesh, they didn't despise they didn't reject him, but they received him as an angel of God. And he says, it was through infirmity that I preached the gospel unto you. You remember how Paul was stoned and left for dead. You can imagine what damage that might have done to him physically for the cause of Christ. And so it, it might be that he's pointing to the fact that I'm writing large letters here because my eyesight isn't good uh, through infirmities of the flesh. It's possible that he's talking about that, or it could be that he's simply pointing to the authenticity of the letter and underscoring the authority with which, he, which, which is written here. And Paul said, again, we, we talked about 2 Thessalonians 3.17. He said, with mine own hand, it's a token in every epistle. It gives authenticity to the letter. But I think it's deeper than that. I think Paul calls attention to it here in order to express to the Galatians his great concern for them and impress upon them the importance of thoroughly considering all that he's written in this letter. I've read in some places that the phrase, large a letter, that Paul mentions here, it's similar to how we might write something in all capitals or how we might bold or highlight certain words in order to show emphasis. It's possible that what Paul is saying here is that I was so troubled in, uh, 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 for you about the danger that you're in about going after false doctrine that I didn't take the time to find the secretary to dictate to like I normally would have done. Instead, I went right to the letter with mine own hand and I wrote this with great pains and labored over this because it's so urgent that you understand this message. It's clear that this letter was a labor of love that he had toiled over, even possibly straining his eyes over to write, and he hoped by communicating that to them that it would persuade them to earnestly consider what he's saying. And what Paul has written in this epistle is truly of great importance. And to ensure that they didn't miss that, what he's communicating to them over these six chapters 
he concludes by summarizing these points in the last verses. And what he's doing is setting a contrast, a stark contrast, to those who are seeking to make a show of the flesh, who trusted in their own abilities or in the things that they could boast in outwardly. And he's making a contrast between those and how Paul only gloried in the infirmities of the flesh and the glory in the cross of Christ so that the Lord Jesus Christ would be the one who was magnified. And again, it's a work of grace in the heart, not an outward showing of the flesh. Let's consider that thought, the showing of the flesh. Look at verses 12 and 13 again. Because he says, As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. Now, Paul doesn't mention the Judaizers specifically, but it's clear that that's who he means when he says those who desire to make a fair show in the flesh. Those are the ones who emphasize the outward in order to demonstrate their conformity to rules and to standards and so on. Listen, their prime boast in keeping the law was in circumcision. That's why they were compelling others to be circumcised, saying that you can't be saved unless you're circumcised. And unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you don't have salvation. Go back to Acts chapter 15. Just keep your place here. In Acts chapter 15, he says in verse 1, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren... And said, except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. And that caused a a, a great deal of a a kerfuffle, if you want to call it that. And there was a lot of debating going on over this. And it was confirmed that, obviously, that salvation is by grace through faith. But here was the problem that they were dealing with. And they said, unless you're circumcised after the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. Their motives were not at all about helping the Galatian believers. They were not at all about the advancement of the Galatian spiritual condition. They were motivated by something else. And Paul mentions two things here. Notice what he says. He says in verse 12, he says, they uh, want to make a fair show in the flesh. They constrain you to be circumcised only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. And what he's saying is, they want the numbers, they want to affect you this way, but they don't actually care about your spiritual well-being. They actually want to avoid persecution for for the cross of Christ. And why is that? Because the cross is an insult The cross is an insult to the very self-sufficiency that they were emphasizing. And it demonstrated, listen, that man's need is so great that we cannot be saved by our own efforts. The only way that we can be saved is by humble submission to the grace of God. Not only that, he says they want to boast in your flesh. Look at that in verse 13. Neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, 
but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. He says they, they don't care about your spiritual well-being. They want to boast in the flesh of those who, who were circumcised. They wanted to be able to point to how many people followed them and how many works of the flesh they had performed. Look in chapter 4 again in verse 17. He says, They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that ye might affect them. And, and what Paul is saying here, or the thought is that these Judaizers would exclude you from the rest of the New Testament and churches in order that they would stir you up to join in with the Judaizers. And implied here is, what, is, is a, a lack of true concern for these Galatian brethren. Paul says they don't really care about you. They don't really care about your spiritual well-being. They want to bring accolades for themselves. It's sort of like where he says they desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. In our day, it's a lot like those churches who, you know, they claim, well, we had 65 people saved on visitation today. And you think, 65 people saved on visitation today. Wow, that sure looks good with numbers. But what about the concern for the soul? What about the work of the Spirit of God in a heart over someone's sin? You understand what I'm saying? It looks good. It looks impressive. But it's not about the concern for souls of men. And so well, that's what Paul's saying these Judaizers were all about. Oh, they want you to be circumcised, but that's so they can glory in your flesh. They can boast about who is following them and how many they've affected. And so... Paul also says that they were making their boast in the law, but they weren't even keeping the law themselves in verse 13. For they neither themselves who are circumcised keep the law. They don't even do it themselves. In the end, they were just a bunch of hypocrites. And according to the law itself, the law demanded perfect obedience. You can't even offend in one point. Because if you offend in one point, you're guilty of all of it. Well, they hadn't kept the law themselves. They hadn't sought God by faith either, like the law actually demanded. Paul said in Galatians chapter 3, in verse 10, he said, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And so the Judaizers, they weren't just false teachers. They actually had false motives. They were not who they claimed to be. They claimed to be interested in the Galatians, but they were really only interested in themselves in making what Paul calls a fair showing of the flesh for the purpose of avoiding persecution. And if they could convince the Galatians to be circumcised, then they would bring them into the orbit of Judaism by making them dependent upon the law of Moses, and it would make the Judaizers look good in the Jewish community. Because then the gospel would be compatible with Judaism. It would be a message that is similar to Judaism. In fact, it would essentially be the same thing as Judaism because Judaism promoted a works-based salvation. And what it would do was remove the offense of the cross. And that offense of the cross 
was the real issue. Paul said they don't want to face the persecution for the cross of Christ. And again, it's similar today to those who might boast of their works. Maybe, like I said, the 65 saved on visitation. They don't preach repentance toward God. The offense of my sin is removed. And the reason that Christ died is now made more palatable. And 65 saved looks good, but what about the souls that are affected? And so Paul is setting this contrast here. Here's what they look like. Here's what they've done. But then he goes on to talk about the rule of the cross. Look at verse 14. He says, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you see the contrast again? As many as say this, here's the Judaizers, they glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory, here's the contrast, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. So Paul is contrasting himself in the strongest way possible. And he denies that he could boast in anything except for the cross of Christ. You remember what he said to the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians chapter 2? He said, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He said, I came to you not in the words with, of men's wisdom. My speech wasn't fair. It wasn't enticing words. My preaching wasn't, uh, you know, charismatic. He said, I, the only thing I wanted was to, was to point to the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's by the cross of Christ that Paul said, the world is crucified to me and I to the world. Paul said, I have nothing to do with the world anymore. The world has nothing to do with me. He was all about Christ and looking nothing, looking to nothing of the flesh. Now look in verse 15, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Paul says it was by the cross that I'm able to assert that circumcision doesn't make me more righteous before God. In Christ, he says, it's not a matter of circumcision or uncircumcision that's important. What's important is being made a new creature. That's what he says in verse 15. That's why 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, if we think about this, and you think about what Paul is saying, because he says, I'm not going to glory in anything except the cross of Jesus Christ. Why would he say that? And why would that be something so significant? Because the Judaizers said, we believe in Jesus, but we also know that you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. So you have to believe in Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised. Jesus himself wasn't something that was offensive to the Jews or to the Judaizers in that moment. And what I mean by that, Jesus the teacher 
or Jesus the rabbi, or Jesus the the wonder worker didn't offend people. It's Jesus the crucified Savior that both offends Jew and Gentile. The cross is something that is poison to people's pride because it's a symbol of man's guilt and man's spiritual impotence. That is why this was such a big deal. It's proof, the cross of Christ is proof of man's abject condition and need of a Savior. And in fact, it shows that man's condition is so bad and so desperate that God had to slay his own son in order to save man, in order to save you. That's how completely fallen and desperate man is. And the gospel, which is not another gospel, not another one of the same kind that the Judaizers was preaching, was a false gospel and it would condemn people to an eternity without God. And Paul is saying, it is the cross of Christ that shows exactly how desperate you are and is a a distinguishing mark between those Judaizers and those who trust in Christ by faith. Christ bore our sins. He experienced our punishment precisely because that was the only way that we could gain release from the wrath of God. If there could have been another way, then there would have been another way. And there never would have been a cross if there was another way. It's why Jesus said in the garden, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He says, if there's any other way for salvation to be had, then Lord, let's do that. But he knew it wasn't, there was no other way. And Paul made that point very clearly in chapter 2. Go back to chapter 2. In verse 21, he says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. If there is salvation by the law, if we could work for our salvation, if we could do it ourselves, then the cross is needless. God never would have crucified His own Son if there was another way for us to be saved and avoid His wrath. The cross tells us that there is no other way. Amen. What does the cross tell us? It tells us that we're guilty, that we're helpless, and people don't like that message. People don't like to hear the message that they're an offense to God, that there's nothing you can do to earn favor with God. That's an offense. In fact, they dislike the message so much that they'll persecute the messenger in order to keep him from speaking that message. It's what caused Paul himself, before he was converted to Christ, it caused him himself, when he was a zealous Pharisee, to persecute the church beyond measure. He said that back in chapter 1. Again, he's summarizing everything that he's talked about throughout this entire letter. He said he tried to destroy it, And it was following his conversion to Jesus Christ that he began to preach the cross as the only basis of salvation. And that is when he started to be persecuted because it was an offense. The wrath that he poured out on the church, he said he persecuted it with zeal. 
that same wrath came back on him by his own former colleagues. He said that in chapter 5, in verse 11, where he called the cross an offense. He said, notice that in chapter 5, in verse 11, he said, And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. He said, who were the ones who were preaching circumcision? It was his colleagues, former colleagues, in some cases. And he says, if I'm preaching that message, then why am I suffering persecution? Because if that's the message, then the offense of the cross has ceased. Now, I'm talking about the offense of the cross. I want to try to help us see it in a little bit different light, because today we tend to have a different view of the cross. We don't see it the same way that they would have in Paul's day. In a lot of cases, people actually have some sort of a sentimental attachment to the cross. And they fail to see the force of Paul's description here of the cross of Jesus Christ as a stumbling block and an offense. I mean, in our day, people wear crosses for jewelry, right? They idolize it. You know, they would have never done that in Paul's day. The cross was a scandal. The cross was the lowest form of death in the Roman Empire. It was reserved for slaves. It was reserved for criminals, for assassins. It was reserved for the lowest of the low. It was designed to be a humiliating form of execution. And Roman citizens themselves were exempt from crucifixion. In fact, they were told to never mention the Latin word crux or cross in polite conversation. I read as I was studying through this, that Cicero said that a Roman citizen should never even have the cross on his thoughts or before his eyes. It was something vulgar. It was something that was so offensive. Exalting the cross in Paul's day would be comparable to us, you know, making some sort of uh, of jewelry out of the electric chair or making some jewelry out of a, a hangman's noose and, and glorying in that. Wearing jewelry made from it would, it, would be disgusting. It, we would be like, what are, what are you doing? So the idea of celebrating a crucified Savior was something that was completely unthinkable to Gentile and to Jew But Paul says, I'm not going to glory in anything except for the cross of Christ. Why? Why? Because it was the cross of Christ that met the holy demands of a righteous God on sin. We can know the forgiveness of sins because of the cross, something that's offensive. Paul maintains that it's those who walk according to this rule or this standard, those are the ones who enjoy the peace and the mercy of God. Do you enjoy the peace and the mercy of God today? If you do, it's only because of the cross of Christ. Amen? Because of salvation in the cross of Christ. And he said those people are the true Israel of God. The Israel of God, the circumcised in heart, not merely in the flesh. This Salvation is not something of outward ceremony. It's an inward work of grace. 
And then Paul goes on in the last two verses to kind of give some affirmation to the Galatian believers. He says, From henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Paul says from now on, or, he, he, or meaning even finally, he says, let no man trouble me, because I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. He's saying, I bear in my body the stigma of Jesus Christ. I know what I'm talking about, because I bear in my body the marks of Christ. That may have been a reference to things that he suffered in his body. He talks about those in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Just take a quick look there. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, in verse 23, he says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I, uh, thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Paul suffered for the cause of Christ, and he said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord. He could be referencing that, or he could be referencing the shame that he was willing to bear as one who was persecuted for Christ. He's probably referencing both. But he says here, I know what I'm talking about because I've suffered for Christ. And Paul also said in, enough, in another place, he said, he, he said that I don't want the suffering of Christ to be in vain. I want to know Christ myself. I want to understand the sufferings of Christ because I want to be like Him. And then he says in verse 18, Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. He closes this up pretty much the same way that he started the letter. In chapter 1, in verse 3, Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He affirms the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the grace of Christ is the core of the good news of the gospel. Amen? We could not be saved without the grace of God. And Paul is summarizing it all up and saying that salvation is all of God. Amen? And Paul confirms that with just that word, grace. Unmerited favor of God. And he ends by calling the Galatians his brethren. I think that's great because he was pretty hard throughout this entire letter. And yet he's convinced that they still were truly 
his brothers and sisters in the Lord, and, and that they, by God's grace, would maybe recognize the truth of that letter and repent of their error. They would, his prayer was that they would turn away from that false gospel that they had been introduced to and come back to the truth of God. And as a close and as a side note, I'm also thankful for the grace of God in my life in that regard, aren't you? It's God's nature and God's grace to be merciful and to bring His erring children back to Himself when we've strayed, if we'll have a repentant heart. And I'm so thankful that that is a characteristic of God, because where would we be without it? And may God keep us from wandering, amen? May God keep us from being deceived by error ourselves, or by being enamored with this world and its, uh, its, its ideologies and straying from the Lord. May the Lord keep us grounded in truth. And I'm telling you, friend, just because we once were doesn't mean that we always will be. We're seeing it in our day to day. Those who were once solid and grounded in truth are no longer. And may the Lord keep us steadfast in Christ. Amen. You might be here tonight and you are without Jesus Christ. You've not been saved yet. My prayer is that God would open your eyes to how desperate your need is of Him and that you would cling to the cross of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You, Lord, for the message of the Gospel. We thank You, Lord, for even the offense of the cross of Christ and how Paul said that I'm not going to glory in anything. I don't have anything to glory in except the cross of Christ. And he said, because of it, the world is crucified to me and I to the world. He said, I have no value in this world outside of Jesus Christ. And the old life and the old flesh, it has no more meaning to me. My life is lived in Christ and for Christ and to Christ. My ambitions are for Christ. The world is dead to me and I'm dead to the world. Paul was willing to suffer shame for the cross of Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to be so convinced, not only of the truth of the gospel, but be so impressed in our minds and in our hearts to be compelled that I will not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God unto salvation. It's changed my life. And I will proudly and boldly and gladly stand for Jesus Christ and for truth. I think we lack some, not just some backbone or a spine in our world. I think we lack love. Love for Jesus Christ and for what He's done for us. To see the awful price that He paid on my behalf. How could I do anything but love Him and serve Him and stand for Him, even in a world of haters and those who would persecute us? Lord, may we never be ashamed to speak for Jesus Christ. On our jobs, with our families, may we never be ashamed to proclaim His name. 
The world needs those who would accurately reflect Jesus Christ. So Lord, I pray that you'd just help us to think and ponder for just a little while the great truth that we are saved only by the grace of God, that there's no other way for my salvation but the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The cross was a shame. It was an offense. But Lord, may we understand ourselves that we've been given such a great gift, the gift of forgiveness of sins. And Lord, may we be compelled in our soul to be willing, like Paul, to suffer shame for His name. Lord, we love You tonight. Thank You, Lord, for Jesus Christ. Thank You for Your Word. In Jesus' name, amen.